Hello and welcome back to Anointed Fire. I'm Tiffany Buckner. This is part three to Darn If You Do, Darn If You Don't. And I'm recording this part because one, I need to make um, some clarity because I realized I contradicted myself. Um, in all our honesty, um, I talked about my friend girl being a virgin. And then on the other part, I talked about her having a child with her child's father. And obviously that's a contradiction. So let me make sure that I explain it because all I honesty, I can't remember whether or not she had a child at that time. I don't think she had a child at that time. I think this is during the time when she was still a virgin. Um, but she kept going back before between her and that guy. She ended up having a child with him at some point. So that's the clarity. Um, she was either a virgin or if she had a child with him at that time, which I don't think she did. If she did have a child with him, he was the only man she'd ever slept with. I was The point of that was that she wasn't a promiscuous person. She was going through a breakup and he was like the love of her life. She really made an idol out of this guy. Um, he was really her everything. And I had brought her out in an attempt. Uh, I had started bringing her to clubs in an attempt to help her to get over him. So uh, she ended up realizing that, you know, because she had been staying in this really, really small town. She used to dress almost like a farm girl. And I took her out and we went shopping and um, obviously she spent our own money. Uh, but I was like, Hey, get this, get this and come to the club with me. She was a church girl. Um, I really, yeah, the enemy pretty much set her up, used me, used the guy or what have you. So I end up convincing her to come to the club with me. She agrees. She gets into the club, you know, and this wasn't the, the incident with the ex. She goes to the club. She gets all of this attention from guys, realizes that she's not only beautiful, but she is extremely gorgeous and all these guys are paying attention to her. So that's how we get into that situation. So from that point on, she wanted to, she wanted to go to the club every weekend and she wanted us, you know, cause she used to love the outfits that I picked out. We used to go to mangoes. I think it was rainbow or mangoes at the time, but you get the gist. Uh, we used to like to go there to pick out our outfits uh, for the club that week. Oh, what have you. And so that was just one of those times where um, she had gone to the club with me. But she used to dance provocatively, but not she was dancing provocatively even when she was a virgin. Um, but in all our honesty, she wasn't a um, she wasn't out there. So I just wanted to make sure I get clarity in that. Also wanted to talk about a biblical story or bi biblical example of the darned if you do darned if you don't type situation. And you think about the situation with David. Here it is. David is in the field when Samuel comes. The prophet Samuel comes to, you know, anoint uh, one of Jesse's children as king of Israel. But David is in the field. His dad has all the other guys in the house. David is in the field. Obviously, there is some situation. And there is a Jewish uh, fable uh, relating to that, but it's uh, extra biblical. So, there we can't say that it's true or not uh that it's not true but the jews believe that david's dad didn't believe david was his son and the jewish fable goes along the lines of jo jesse's father was obed which jesse's father was obed obed had been the son of uh ruth and boaz ruth and boaz they gave birth to oh, so Ruth had been a more a more bite woman, um, and so that meant that Jesse had some more bite in him. David's brother was 
I mean, David's mother was fully Jew. So they had passed some type of law at that time um, about, you know, marrying with people who, you know, that had another like a pagan uh, parent or grandparent or something like that. And the fable is that he loved um, David's mother so much, he decided to put her away. Now, to put them away back in that time, they didn't divorce the woman. What they would do is that they would just pretty much not sleep with her again. They would kind of put her in an outhouse and, you know, what have you. So they would just kind of, it's just, hey, we're done um, type situation. But she can't go be with anybody else or what have you. This is extra biblical, so don't think I'm preaching this as the gospel. But according to the fable, the uh, the wife, the Jesse's mother, she doesn't want, you know, she loves her husband. She doesn't want to be put away. Uh, she doesn't care that he has, you know, he's mixed, he's mixed with, you know, he has Moabite in his blood. Um, and he decided he was going to marry her handmaid. You know, he's going to take one of her handmaids to be his concubine. The handmaid really loves her, tells her about it. And they come up with this plan that the night of the ceremony, they were going to get him drunk. And David's mother was going to go in there and sleep with him rather than the concubine going in there and sleeping with him. So they get him drunk. It's dark. David's mother goes into the room. She sleeps with him. She gets pregnant. What have you. He doesn't realize it um, that he slept with David's mother. And she turns out she gets pregnant. He thinks that the baby is a bastard. The baby belongs to somebody else. So consequently, you know, he decided to, because he loved her, he didn't want her to get stoned to death. So he didn't put her out there. But because he loved her, he decided to kind of raise David as his own. But he just kind of has his things. And so that's the the Jewish fable as to why David was out in the field um, and the other brothers was in the house. He didn't really think that David was his child. Um, and so again, that's extra biblical. Uh, nevertheless, fast forward, David goes through a lot in his life, you know, so we can really assume as to what his childhood was like, but David goes through a lot in his life. He's still humble. You know, he doesn't do anything with complaining. Eventually David finds himself being anointed as King of Israel. Um, even after he's anointed, he doesn't take the throne. He goes back out into the field and he's in the field another, uh, more than a decade. I don't remember how much time passed, but I know it was a long time before he actually sat on the throne. Um, he ends up being summoned. Um, he goes to war, he fights and he overcomes Goliath. He does all of these things. Like he keeps finding himself in Saul's presence. Then he becomes Saul's uh, musician. He plays and helps this evil spirit to live off Saul. Saul starts getting jealous of him um, and decides he wants to kill him. Decides he wants to kill him. This is a situation of, of darn if you do, darn if you don't. Uh, because at the end of the day, either David would have had to run away from his family, go on the run and go into a pagan world and go away from, you know, where God had called him, where his inheritance was, go outside the will of God and, you know, suffer the wrath of God or potentially be killed by Saul. Either way, David was darned if he did, darned if he don't. Uzziah, Uriah, Uriah, not Uzziah, Uriah, same situation. Here it is, David looks and now David becomes Uriah's personal Saul. Um, David looks and he sees Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop of her home. He lusts after her. He sent his guards, he sent his guys to get her. 
They bring her there. She he sleeps with her. Um, finds out she sends to let him know because her husband's away at war that she's pregnant. So he summons. He brings Uriah back. Um, because he tries to get Uriah to sleep with her. That way she can put the child on Uriah. Uriah instead sleeps in front of uh at the castle, refuses to go into his wife. David tries a couple of times, it's unsuccessful. So he has Uriah put at the front of the war to be killed. Now, Uriah's alternative to that was he could have went home, he could have slept with his wife, and he could have raised David's child. He could have slept with his. So this is the darn if you do, darn if you don't. Sometimes you got to choose the lesser of two evils. Why am I recording this message? It's because I think a lot of times people don't look at situations like that. Uh, There are many cases when you come across unrealistic people and they will put you in a predicament where you have no, they literally give you no choice. It's like you have to choose between two evils with them. Um, And you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, they're going to put you in a very hard space and they're going to be angry either way. Like I said, I have clients like that. I've worked with over a thousand people. I've worked with thousands of people. I don't know how many people I've worked with over these years, but I can tell you, I've been in a situation so many times that I've come to realize that there are some really messed up people out there, some really broken people, even in ministry, because I work with ministries. But there's some really messed up people out there. Like there is literally nothing that you can do uh, to satisfy them. Immediately, the thought comes up about this one particular client I had one time that ordered a logo for me. The color salmon sticks out in my mind because this customer ordered. It was a custom logo. It was like you had. It was a swirl he wanted around there. So they already had one design, and they wanted me to make a rendition of that or what have you. And I did an excellent job. If you ask me, it came out excellent. Um, but I told the client, I always follow my policies. I was like, you have to like the client kept trying to get around my rules. And that's a red flag in the world of business is whenever, especially in uh, when you're providing a service, when people try to get around your rules or what have you, instead of filling out the forms that you tell them to fill out, they email you or they call you and tell you I approve it. And I'm like, no, I don't need that. I need you to fill out that form. So they kept trying to get around that. Um, trying to see if I remember this story. I got a thousand stories, so I'm not going to go through them. But they kept trying to get around that. And I said, listen, at the end of the day, um, you have to fill out the form. So the guy, if I'm thinking right, he approved it at one point and then he comes back. He said, hey, no, my 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 um, my boss saw it. My pastor saw it. He's not happy with it. It's not the right color. Now, I remember, no, we got on the phone and I went outside my rules. This is one of those incidents that just served as a painful reminder to me. Never go outside your rules. So I get on the phone um, and the guy told me burgundy. I will never forget that. He said they wanted it burgundy. I remember repeating everything to him or what have you. So after it was either approved or they got their, so you only have free, one free revision. They got their free revision. I don't remember if it was approved or not. What I do remember was that they wanted a second revision. And I made it clear you have to upgrade your package. And so they didn't want to pay the extra money to upgrade the package. So what they did was, which is common in the world uh, of business when you're providing a service, is people use the spirit of accusation. So he's like, no, I told you I wanted this thing to be salmon colored. You talk, you got it burgundy. I said, sir, I was on the phone with you. You literally told me burgundy. I rehearsed it. I said it back to you. He was lying because he had his past on three way. And rather than taking accountability, he tried to put the blame on me. 
And I was like, no. And I said, and even if that was the case, I can change the color of it. Everything else is still another revision. He was like, no, you didn't do what I asked. So they were on the phone. Literally, these two started trying to double team me. And when I say double team, I'm not talking about in a professional way. I'm talking about screaming, um, raising their voices, being condescending. And I was like, at the end of the day, if you want a revision. So I ended I end up. I'm like, you know what? My fault. I should have made you fill out the form. Fill out the form. I don't feel like I should. I said, you're going to have to fill out the form. I'll do this revision and I'll change the color and oh, what have you. I said, but any revisions after this, you will pay that fee. There's no if and or but about it. I don't go around my rules. So um, they fill out the form. No, first he keeps emailing me. Then he, he checking. Hey, is the logo done? I said, no, because you didn't follow instructions. I said, go and fill out the form. And what have you? I don't understand why I got to fill out the form. And that's usually a Jezebelic personality. Um, they don't like legalities. So I'm like, again, you have to fill out the form. So dude goes, he finally fills out the form. Uh, he calls me a couple of times with his pastor on three-way. They, uh, they try to dog me. Really, they just really start trying to dog walk me. Uh, but it doesn't work. I'm, I hold my ground. I'm like, you got to fill out the form. So they finally fill out the form. I make the change and I send it back to him. So then they come back and they call me again, you know, um, Hey, so we need a couple of more changes. I said, you have to upgrade. They start screaming. I said, no, you have to upgrade. I said, this is the way that it works. And what have you? So they start demanding, um, I, they keep calling and emailing. They, they even have this woman call me. She starts off trying to talk nice. And when I said, no, ma'am, I know, ma'am. Then she starts screaming. Then they call me three ways. I'm telling when I tell you, I had never had this triangulation done this way before in my life to see three people who were supposed to be ministers calling and gaslighting and behaving like that. I, you could not drag me in their church with a group of wild horses, but I can only imagine what they do to their members. I can only imagine what they do to their leadership. I can only imagine the way that they did. So I'm on the phone and I'm like, listen, at the end of the day, you got to pay. Um, I said, I did the first revision. I said, I did this revision at no additional cost because I absorbed it because I didn't follow my own instructions. Um, I should have made you fill out the form. I said, but now you fill out the form. Well, you didn't follow instructions. I said that the circle is not circle enough. Oh, sir. No, everything is. I said, this thing looks perfect. It looks as close to the first logo as possible. This is one of those situations. Now, in the world of business, all I honesty, you are not going to satisfy a person like that. This is what I learned. I've been in business for many years. I think I talked about this on part one. This is no joke. I'm not just saying this. When you're dealing with a Jezebelic personality, when you're dealing with somebody who has a spirit of perfection, you are just not going to satisfy that person. It doesn't matter because I remember that that logo looked perfect. It was amazing. It looked better than the logo they had submitted to me. And they were asking for these weird changes. Like it was just meticulous uh what have you and i was like i'm not changing it again i'm not changing it again um so finally they were like give you give us our money back and i was like no i put all this time in all these effort and resources that's not how this works um and so they start i'm like you're not gonna put me on punishment this is not how this works so we get into it they went and filed uh to get a refund so they filed something through paypal i think it was and so we had to go and, you know, I, it, it's this thing you have to go through with PayPal, this chargeback. Um, I had to submit all the emails, the paperwork, the forms or what have you. And it PayPal ruled in my favor, you know, because um, I showed that, hey, I actually did do the work. 
they're really just not wanting to go by my policies. They're literally trying to force me outside of my rules. I show PayPal the rules on the website, the contract they signed, all of that thing, all that. So that was that. They finally reached out and they like, um, you, I, I'm trying to see if they told me I can keep the logo. I don't remember what happened with that logo. No, actually, I think they did take it. They did take it because the minister that they had me doing business with about a year or a year or so later, he reached out to me again because they lost the email with the logo in it. Um, They lost the email and something had happened with one of the men. I don't remember, but they lost the logo and they needed me to resend the logo. <laughs> uh, some people call that karma. I don't believe in karma. You reap what you sow. But they lost the email and he reached out and he was like, um, I, I know you probably remember me. He said, first and foremost, uh, let me apologize for how we, we how we acted. You know, we were wrong or what have you. And I was like, you're forgiven. He asked me to resend. I resent the logo. That was it. That ended that particular story. But I say that to say, be mindful of the situations that you put yourself in. You always want to make sure that the people that you're talking to have sound logic. And one of the ways you can find it out is to listen to them tell stories. Let them talk about their lives. Let them talk about their exes. Let them talk about stuff. And you'll come to realize that because you'll find out people will be talking crazy out here. You know, people be talking about, you know, yeah, um, I set her car on fire because she left me. Or no, nah, you know what? I went had a baby with her best friend because she left me. Well, didn't you say she left you because you cheated? Yeah, but I'm just saying, you know, I'm a man. I'm just saying. And, you know, you may not come across people who are that blatant. Most of the time I found that when you're dealing with unrealistic, illogical people, they hide behind their words. They try to find ways to gaslight and to cover up the fact that they are illogical. Um, And one of the ways that I've learned is, one, be patient with them. Um, Just make sure that you're talking to them. Make sure that... You know, you ask questions, ask pointed questions, and you can tell when you are actually starting to, you know, pull out information that they don't want you to pull out that, you know, reveals their characters. That's when they start getting annoyed and asking questions like, why are you asking? Why are you so invested in that story? Or what have you? Because right then and there, they realize that their character is about to be revealed. The Bible tells us to test the spirit. Unfortunately, today, that's not popular because you have a lot of women out here who are desperate and they want they want to be chosen so bad. They want the man to to choose them. So because of that, you have a lot of women nowadays who just opt to um, they opt to not test the spirit. But to go through the world's way of dating, which is just to go out to eat with the guy, go a couple of places, start holding hands and kissing on the guy. Next thing you know, they laid out in the bed with the dude. And, you know, you have a lot of people who opt to get into relationships like that and they just hope for the better. They play Russian roulette with their bodies and they just hope for the better. Consequently, they end up hurt. Consequently, you have a lot of children being born without a father. Consequently, you have a lot of abortions out there. Consequently, our uh, welfare system is being abused. Consequently, you got a lot of broken women and a lot of broken and bound men out there. And that's the thing. That's the consequence of sin. That's the consequence of sin. I made it a point to ask God to choose my spouse for me. You know, this time, because I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, obviously I've had, I had to do a lot of healing. I had to get a lot of deliverance and I had to do a whole, whole lot of maturing. And where I am right now, I'm really grateful to God because when I tell you I'm so far from who I used to be, I am completely on the other end of the spectrum. And I can look back at that girl and say, man, she was a mess. She was really broken. Um, and I thank God for saving her. I thank God for delivering you know, um, me, I thank God for that. 
And I'm really grateful. But because I come to understand, you know, my wiring and I come to understand that, man, Satan, <laughs> Satan would love to recover me, you know, uh, because of what God has done in my life. Satan would love to take me out. I have to be very mindful of who I get into a relationship with. I have to be very mindful because I've learned, you know, being a, uh, a deliverance minister nowadays, I've learned that demons will attack the people around you to get to you. I've, I've learned that demons will stop at nothing to get to a person that they deem to be a threat to their kingdom. Um, and so you got to be very careful. And you may say, well, Tiffany, I'm not in deliverance ministry. Tiffany, I'm not even in ministry, period. But I'm going to still warn you. You don't know what God has planned for your life. You don't know the anointing that's on your life. But demons do know. Demons have more insight into who you are than you do in most cases. And in that, what you may find yourself in situations like me, um, situations like I used to be in where I would get into these relationships and I would end up with demonized people who did not understand how to let go. You know, and it was <clears throat> it was amazing to me because I just remember thinking that most of the guy, like my friends, whenever they broke up with a guy or whenever a guy broke up with them, it was over with. It, it, it was just maybe the girl cried over him or something like that. I honestly couldn't understand what was the thing, but I, I can understand now. I can look back now and say Satan knew who I was. Satan knew my identity. He knew I didn't know it. <clears throat> and he was trying to capture me as, much, as, as best as he could. But God wired me in a way to help me to escape. And that may sound silly, but I believe that um, God wired me in a way because the way that I was wired, you know, I, <clears throat> I would look at things for what they were and not what I wanted them to be. You know, I didn't look at it like, oh, he'll change. He'll get better. I mean, obviously, I end up doing that with that, that the man I end up marrying. But it was after I got into a serious relationship with him that I started thinking like that. But no, whenever I met a guy, uh, typically back then, I was honest with myself, which is why I, it was. I'm not going to say it was easy, easy for me to break up with a guy, but it wasn't hard for me to end the thing with a guy because I came to realize that, hey, it's going to end and it's going to end. I would much rather go ahead and end it now than it end it later. I would much rather prevent what I see coming than for it to continue on. I can tell you tons of stories where I, I realized I was at a crossroads where I was darned if I did and darned if I didn't. I can tell you many stories where I found myself trying to figure out how to get out of a situation that another human being had decided to put me in. Now, obviously, the relationships I had put myself in, but I'm not talking about necessarily the relationships. I'm just talking about people in general. Anytime you come in contact with people, when you come in contact with humans, you have to kind of come in contact with illogical humans. You have to come in contact with some really broken souls. When um, I talked about earlier on one of the other ones, I got a, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a mentorship program and I have come across unrealistic people in my mentorship program. Thankfully, they're not, they're no longer apart. And I think some of the people that are still apart, they were probably unrealistic when they came in. But I explained to them, you know, how mentorship works and what have you. And they were offended. I can tell you, there were plenty of them that were offended in the beginning because they came into the program with this, with unrealistic expectations. They came into the program with this fantasy about how things were going to be. They had this fantasy of, okay, okay, what we're going to do, uh, what I'm going to do is, <clears throat> you know, um, they, they saw mentorship as counseling. So they came in with this fantasy of what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to Tiffany. I'm going to be on the phone with her all day. I'm going to become her bestie. And 
I'm not saying that to, to act like I'm somebody big or what have you, but people are like that towards leadership, period. It has nothing to do with Tiffany. It has everything to do with how people do leadership. When people feel like you are an expert in any arena, um, people will try to get up on you. <clears throat> and most of the time when they're coming your way, it's because they feel like they are a novice in that, that particular area. They feel like, hey, I need somebody to help me out with this. Maybe it's relationships, maybe it's business or what have you. And when you're a leader in an area like that, you have to be very mindful because people are, people are going to try to push up on you because they feel like you can help them with their situation. And that's what I do as a mentor. I help them, but not in the way that they fantasize or not the way that they think about. Um, I have to help them in a way where I put the revelation, I put the information on a plate. I put it in teachable and I have to watch to see how much of it they eat. And that's, I, I train them from there. I teach them from there. But unrealist, un, but the reality is I do get people that come in who think that mentorship is going to be, I'm going to get your phone number. I'm going to call you and I'm going to sit up on the phone with you <clears throat> for three hours every single day. And I'm going to tell you my situation and then you're going to tell me what to do to get out of it. And we're going to keep doing this. And one day I'm going to crown you best friend. Because I can say that with confidence because I've had that to happen to me. You know, that was and that was my lesson. You know, growing in ministry, that was my lesson. Um, when I had people that kind of pushed up on me, the two situations that were the craziest were, yeah, and I, I'm not going into those stories, but I'm just going to say the two situations that were the craziest was because I didn't put any boundaries in, in front in front of me. One of them was a business situation. Um, and the other one was a friend somebody that came in and I, I should have kept her in the, you know, I should have charged her for coaching. I should have kept her in the mentorship, uh, mentorship, uh, role, but I didn't. And I let this girl run up on me. And the next thing you know, she called me her best friend. And I had that girl around me for five years, not realizing that, you know what, this isn't good, but this, it wasn't a healthy situation. It was a toxic situation. So I've come to learn in situations like that, you really are. You're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't. And I've had to tell my students, I said, it's over a hundred of y'all. Let's be realistic. I can't give a hundred women my phone number because if I did, I would pretty much have to shut down every business that I have. I would have to shut down my ministry. And my only thing would become, I would just be literally clicking over. Hello. Yeah, I got, I, okay. So I got sister such and such on the other end. When I get through talking to her, I'll get on the phone with you. And then I'll be listening to people talk about it. So I wouldn't be mentoring them. I would be counseling them. And I try to help people to understand that mentorship deals with your future, your present and your future. It's all about getting you into a better future um, and breaking systems and cycles in your life. Counseling deals with your past. So I point them in the direction of a counselor. And I found people that come in, they get really frustrated with that because, and you know, I, I've, I've had them to do videos to talk about what mentorship may, means to them. Because I wanted to dismantle this belief that they had that mentorship was, you know, talking on the phone about their past. Um, that mentorship was that because you're not moving forward when you're talking about your past. I believe in counseling. I think counseling is great. I think it's excellent. I think it's needed. Um, but I think that you need to get counseling before you get mentorship and not the other way around. Now, you can get counseling as you get mentorship as well. But I don't think it's a good thing to, to mix the two up. So I want you to think of this. Look around your life. Do you have any person in your life where you have where you come to the reality where you're darn if you do, you're darn if you don't like there's no right answer with them. The only thing that happens is you have to lose in order for them to win. 
If you have people like that in your life, I would highly recommend that you remove those people from your life. Remove yourself from those people because it's not going to get any better. Unfortunately, there are many people out in this world who think like that. There are many people out in this world who they don't consider the lives, the happiness, the realities of other people. They only think about themselves. They don't think about how much you have to hurt. And even if, pe- if people talk to them, and I've seen this happen, even if people try to to to, to um, <clears throat> reason with them and say, hey, sis, you're wrong. If, this, if you keep getting this girl to do this, they will argue you down. They really don't care about what the other person is suffering through. They don't, they genuinely don't care about what, what the other person stands to lose. They genuinely don't care. All they care about is that they get what they want when they want it and how, how they want it. And if you try to help anybody who's affiliated with them to get free of their influence, free of their control, they will become ugly and erratic or what have you. Again, this is the spirit of Jezebel. Obviously I'm talking about it is the culture of narcissism that has been normalized in the United States of America. And it's unfortunate, but it is a reality. So ask yourself this, when you're doing business, when you're building friendships, when you're building relationships, whatever it is that you're doing, is there a place, is there a point where you get to win, where both of you can walk away happy? If you find yourself in a situation where it's a repeated, where you have to take a loss, go ahead and take a big loss, take a big L and end that situation because you know what, it's less traumatic. And you need to send this to a friend who needs to hear this. Send this to somebody who needs It's less traumatic to take a big loss than a whole lot of small ones. I'm going to say that again. It's less traumatic to take a big loss, to grieve and to heal from that than to repeatedly keep taking a bunch of small ones. Because those small ones will destroy you one day at a time. It Day at a time. It is a slow kill. It is pure torture. It is agony. And this is what helped me to end situations is because I came to realize I literally would think like this. I could either walk away from this situation and deal with the repercussions of it. If I cared about the person, I can go ahead and grieve them. Excuse me. I have these. But I can go ahead and grieve them or or I can stay in a situation I talk about that ex that tried to kidnap me. I can either stay in that I can stay in that relationship. I wouldn't marry him, but I can either stay in that relationship and let him do what he thought was necessary, or I can deal with him stalking and threatening me. I chose the latter. I could stay. I could have stayed with my ex who was abusive. I could have um, gave in to his demands. I could have gave in to the reason he was abusive. I could have sat there and said, you know what? I'm tired of being body slammed. I'm tired of being choked. Let me just sit here and just let him cheat and let me not say anything. Let me just sit at home and, you know, go to work and come home and uh, make sure that I'm I'm keeping up with the house and I don't stress him out and I don't give him a headache. And let him go out there and whenever he's cheating, you know, just make sure his dinner's warm when he came home and his bath water was run. I could I could have did that, but I wasn't crazy enough to, to take a situation like that. I wasn't crazy enough to put my life in in danger like that. Because in that, I would have been darned if I did and darned if I don't. And it darned if I didn't. In all our honesty, I can say without a shadow of doubt, I would have been dead if I hadn't left that man. I would have been dead if I had not left that man. Look around your life. Just look. Pay attention. Is there anybody in your life that you can clearly say, Sister Tiffany, I can't win with this guy. 
I can't win with this girl. There, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing. I, I, there's no right answer with this person. I will tell you, that's an unrealistic person. I don't care how you try to take them to a counselor. I don't try care how you try to take them to a pastor. You can't teach logic to a demon. I've seen it happen many times. I've had people to tell me, Tiffany, you know, um, I want I want you to to minister to us or what have you. You can't teach logic to a demon. You can't talk a demon out of being a demon. That has to be understood. All right. I love y'all. I hope this message blessed you and God bless you.